In this episode, I speak with author and founder Nina Purewall. Key points addressed were Nina's core tenets regarding mindfulness and meditation that she bases her workshops and company coaching regimens on. We also discussed her book titled Let That S-H-I asterisk T Go and how its insights inspire and encourages active dialogue with the self in addition to daily space for individuals to refocus and experience calm. Stay tuned for my informative talk with Nina Purewall. My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. I am your host Patricia and today I am elated to be sitting down with Nina Purewall. She is an author and founder. You can find out more about everything we discussed today on her website www.unfilteredmindfulness.com. Welcome Nina. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I look forward to climbing through everything with you. For anyone who's new to the podcast, I will give you a quick bio on Nina before I ask her to kind of unpack and develop um, her personal narrative for us, and then we'll climb into her story. But before I do that, I want to offer a quick roadmap for the um, trajectory in which today's inquiry will follow. It's going to follow the same core tenets as all of those in these series. Namely, we'll first look at unpacking Nina's academic and professional background and personal story as it relates to where she is now and her current work endeavors. We'll then look at unpacking the core constituents of her business, unfilteredmindfulness.com. I'll also ask her briefly about her book and some of the ethos and philosophy behind it, maybe the audience that she was looking at. When we look at unpacking her company and um, her, some of her coaching techniques and mechanisms, I'll ask her kind of to define different areas of how she, he, she zeroed in on her niche audience and, and just different things of that nature. We'll also ask her about logistics. So the foundership, um, if there's co-founders, financing, bootstrapping, all of those good things. Then we'll turn to advice that she might have for, or actually goals first for that um, Nina has for the next one to three years. That's changed a lot given the current landscape with the COVID-19 pandemic. Then we'll wrap everything up with advice that she has for those of you that are looking to get involved or um, perhaps emulate some of her career success. So before I start peppering her with questions, as promised, a quick bio. Nina Purewall faced an unexpected childhood tragedy, which inspired her mindfulness and meditation journey 20 years ago. After climbing the corporate ladder for nearly a decade, she took a sabbatical and moved to California for a year to unplug, live in an ashram, and learn ancient wisdom. It's been her greatest passion to help others find peace amidst adversity and day-to-day stressors. She is now the founder of Pure Minds, a company that conducts mindfulness and meditation workshops for the public and corporate sector, and the best-selling co-author of the book, Let That Shit Go. 
Um, and I have to say, Nina, I did get through your book and things like that, and I can't wait to climb through it. I like the, uh, the titles Brave for a lot of reasons. But before we get to all of the, the great stuff that you're doing right now, I'm hoping you can kind of um, narrate out a platform of your previous academic, professional, and personal story as it relates to um, where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had a you know great career in sales and marketing. I went to uh, business school in Toronto, Canada. So I went to one of the most well-known business schools here um, and you know really wanted to climb the corporate ladder. In 2010, I hit a peak point of stress and, you know, I was reporting into the U.S. at the time and I was checking my email all, all hours of the night, which was seemed to be the norm. Um, I was addicted to my Blackberry or as they called it, Crackberry back then. Um, and I hit, uh, you know, as I said, this peak point of stress and I said, you know, something, I've got to do something, something different, something has to change here. Um, I've always been passionate about mindfulness and meditation, so I did something drastic, you know, sold the dream home we just bought, um, you know, put family planning on hold, left my career and went off to California and uh, studied mindfulness, meditation, and, and classical spiritual philosophy, if you will, in the northern Redwoods. Um, I came back and still worked a bit of corporate, but knew I wanted to bring, you know, what I learned into the corporate sector because it really did help me mitigate stress, um, help me deal with change, help me deal with the unexpected. Um, and so with that, I, you know, founded my company and I now do mindfulness and, and meditation workshops for companies, you know, started off with one and now we, we've got, you know, 40 to 50 under our belt, which is fantastic in three years. Um, and, you know, a lot of people ask me why, did you get into this and how and, and, and what inspired it? And um, as you mentioned earlier, the unexpected childhood tra uh, tragedy. So I'll just expand on that for a minute. So when I was 16, uh, my parents were going through a pretty challenging divorce at the time. And, um, you know, my mom really wanted the divorce. My dad didn't. Um, he was very, you know, controlling, manipulative. Uh, obviously, they had a very challenging marriage. Um, and shortly after, my dad was served with divorce papers. Um, you know, my mom and I came home from an appointment one day, our house was on fire and it ended up being uh, a murder suicide. So my dad actually committed suicide, um, took my brother, my little brother, I was 16, he was 10 at the time. Um, and the detectives involved basically said, you know, if, if you were home, you would have suffered the same fate. That was his, his, his plan, kind of take everything away from my mom. Um, and you know, I was 16 at the time. So, you know, as a, teenager you're trying to process your own awkward emotions as it is um, and then I had all this to layer on so I struggled with PTSD and you know I saw therapists and, and child psychologists and you name it but the one thing that definitely kept me grounded was you know getting into mindfulness and meditation and that is something I have kept with me through all these years and even challenges I, I faced in my you know 20s and 30s really helped um, Mindfulness and meditation really helped keep me, keep my feet on ground and, and stop me from going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, and a trauma of that nature is um, unimaginable, I think, for the majority of people walking the earth. I'm wondering, who introduced you to it? Was it a, was it a therapist? Was it a parent, a teacher? Did Who kind of showed you? Because mindfulness and meditation are... Uh, specific terms, if you will, to a specific train of thought that isn't always found in the West so much, mm -hmm. much yeah. more now, but was there a specific key f figure that introduced it to you? Yeah, it was actually my mom. So my mom really got, got into it um, prior to 
you know, leaving my dad. Um, and, uh, you know, it was her that really inspired me because after the whole incident, she, you know, people would meet her and they would not even believe that she had gone through this tragedy. Um, it just kept her strong. So it was definitely her that influenced. And at the time, you know, my co-author Kate says, you know, got into mindfulness before it was even cool or it was even a thing. Um, you know, this was back in the mid nineties. And so I was always that person in corporate, um, who was a little more woo woo or who, you know, had the quotes or who you know, believed in, in positive messaging and whatnot. And um, I just think, you know, at the time, the world wasn't really ready for it. And now I feel like in, in, in more Western culture, um, it's, it's more open, it's more accepted, and, and people want to know more about it, because it does, it keeps you calm in the chaos. Yeah, and I think it's gained some notoriety, even just um, from like Americana, you know, Google has a, a meditation room now and billions. Um, for, I'm completely showing my colors here. But <laughs> influence that I have, but they have scenes in all of these high, high corporate shows now with, you know, people meditating, the, the highest of gurus, because it's seen as this activity that um, is no longer associated with fringe, but rather the benefits outweighing anything that could be labeled with it, which I think is interesting. I'm curious, for terminology's sake, um, I think that we all have a self-defined relationship with some of these terms. And so it can vary from person to person and even, you know, different gurus and lines of um, theory define it differently. How do you yourself define mindfulness? Yeah, it's a great question. So mindfulness to me is the art of being fully present. And I think there's a big misconception out there that in order to be mindful, you have to be mindful 24 seven, you know, and that is a very difficult thing to do, especially in today's world when we are, you know, um, social media owns us and we're constantly just we live in an era of distraction it's very hard to be in the moment and be present um, but mindfulness is about being present and I think the trick is to be aware of just when you're not present um, so in a half an hour period if you're trying to go for a mindful walk you know or they talk about having a mindful shower just being present with every little moment and everything that you do it's okay if your mind wanders 50 times in those 30 minutes. It happens to me and I've been practicing this for 20 years. So I think the key is really understanding, yes, it is about being present, but you know, even the greatest of monks say their mind wanders and it's about bringing it back. Um, Eckhart Tolle says the minute you realize you're not present is when you're present. Um, so a lot of what we talk about in the first chapter is the awareness of the mind, the awareness that we're constantly all over the place. We think between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. So once we become aware of all that chatter, we can, you know, bring it in. And that's what mindfulness is. It's having those tiny moments of being in the here and now. Okay. So then how do you define meditation? Because a lot of what you're talking about with mindfulness, it sounds like a key component for me of, with meditation. Yeah, I, you know, they're very co-related. And the way I look at meditation is that it's an opportunity for you to really, it's like going to the gym for your mind. Okay, so it's an opportunity for you to really hone in on what is going on in there. Because it's easy when you're out in the real world and you're distracted with your phones or your work or, you know, people around you or Netflix um, to have the mindful moments and then kind of go back and be distracted. But when you are sitting in, you know, in meditation, then you have the opportunity, you don't have those distractions. So you can really hone in on what exactly is going on in there and um, practice this technique of observing your mind and bringing it back and observing it and bringing it back. And then once you get that technique down and master it in the seat of meditation, it's easier to use in the real world, so to speak. 
Right. What are some of the most common, before we unpack, I want to turn to unpacking the book first and then get into um, some of your, the work and coaching that you do. I think that'll be the greatest order, but what are some of your um, key to, like, what are those first applications of this, this real world application of meditation? Can you kind of drop some examples since you just dropped that term? Yeah, sure. Um, So I personally think that meditation is a very individualistic journey. I don't think it's a standard thing. And, you know, my meditation teacher, I have a meditation teacher now, you know, keep growing with different teachers, um, says, you know, it's it's impossible to teach meditation because it's something that is experienced. So you can be guided, but at the end of the day, it's something that is experienced. So what is resonates with you might not resonate with your partner, with your child, with your parent. Um, So I think the first thing is to be aware that it's not, you know, a standard journey where it's like step one, step two, step three. Um, So you want to start with breath. That is the the kind of key place to start is making sure that you have, you know, a good, a, a good place to meditate, a good, a good posture, and then just taking those deep breath, deep belly breaths in and out and just kind of start with observing your breath. Um, And that just calms your entire system down. Uh, And then once you have the breath down, you can get into different, there's so many different techniques, right? There is, and if you download, you know, Headspace or Calm, there's so many different apps or YouTube um, channels that can help with meditation, but there's things like visualization. Um, There's guided meditation where someone, you know, guides you through a beautiful scene or, you know, peaceful um, imagery, or there's, um, you know, chakra meditation, there's healing meditation, there's, there's so many different types. And, and whatever you have experienced in your life, um, you know, that will, will, will inspire what resonates with you. Um, so I think you start off with the breath and you, you know, find a, a, pl- a place in your living space that works for you, that you can use as your meditation space, um, get your posture right, and then, you know, try different techniques. And they might change over time. You might be into something for a year and then the next year just want to meditate in complete silence. Then the year after you might want, and it might be day to day. So I think the key is just just try it. And even if it's a minute at a time, a minute a day, and going from one minute to two minutes every week or something, um, that'll, you know, increase your, your ability to sit in, in meditation. Right. And with the stress reduction and things like that, it sounds like, you know, the applicability of even doing it at work, like Google has discovered, I'm sure many other workforces have got to stop quoting Google. I'm sure there's a million other places. There's lots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get into the book. I have a, a brief description that we've scrubbed from online and, um, it says a, a brief synopsis or a description that says that you share the wisdom that you and your co-author have gained through decades of practicing and teaching others to find peace of mind, no matter how busy they are. Um, learn to put your life in perspective, take each day one step at a time and still moments of calm amid the chaos. And remember, it's not worth holding on to that shit. So I kind of want to climb into, I like the title. Um, I think it's, it's, in, it's very captivating and it's also very descriptive. And I want to, um, first, I want to ask you as an author, uh, co-author, if, if the, both of you and your fellow author kept in mind your audience as you were writing it, or did you kind of let the book write itself and then realize there was an audience within it? And also, how is it structured and what are the core tenets you meant to impart? Okay, so um, I'll start with how it's structured. So, and, and why we called it Let That Shit Go and how that's tied into mindfulness. So, um, you know, the thing with mindfulness is that the more stuff you are hanging on to, the harder it is to be in the moment. When you're, you know, 
have that negative self-talk or you're, you know, regretting a situation from the past, or you have that really strained relationship, or you're not being true to yourself. These are all things that kind of prevent you from being in the moment because it allows for your mind to, to ruminate on all, on all the, in all these areas of your life. So the whole purpose of letting shit go is, you know, mindfulness and meditation are actually the last two chapters. And what we spend the most of the book on is all these little elements of things that we hold on to. You know, so the, the, you know, there's a chapter on self-love, you know, lack of self-love, there's like 80% of our thoughts are, are said to be negative. Um, there's a chapter on acceptance, you know, letting go of what's happened in the past and letting go of trying to, to, to plan out the future and anticipating and worrying every moment and how it's going to be. Um, there's a chapter on perspective, on authenticity, on forgiveness. Um, so all these areas are kind of different elements of shit that we hold on to. And so we kind of go through the book is filled with a hundred tips on how to be more practical about, you know, letting go and then through that becoming more mindful. So that's the, the gist of the, the book and why we called it, let that shit go. And then in terms of our target, um, initially we were targeting, you know, women from the age of 24 to, uh, you know, 25 to 45, sorry, um, because we felt, you know, they were really struggling with, you know, with balance. Um, you know, a lot of women are in their own heads a lot and lack self-love. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just by, you know, research, more women were into yoga, more into mindfulness. And what we found after we launched the book was everybody's reading it. You know, teenage boys are reading it. Um, you know, men in their 60s are reading it. And, and some women have said, this is the book where my partner, you know, if their partner, um, my partner is finally feeling like uh, they can make mindfulness practical, you know, because everything else felt a little too woo-woo. Um, so now as we go forward, we, um, we're, we just speak our truth. We speak what we have to without thinking about who we're talking to, because really the book is being picked up by anyone who feels they need a shift. And it's really interesting too with men, there is a shift in, you know, being more um, in touch with their emotions and, you know, feeling okay to cry, feeling okay to express, feeling okay to get help. And, you know, we really hope to be advocates for that as well. Absolutely. I mean, for any, I think any population, you know, to be able to kind of come to terms with um, open communication with the self, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, I want to turn to unpacking what you're doing online. And I want to turn to, first, I want you to explain that your, your target audience, um, your niche, if you will, if, I'm not sure if you define it that way. Um, you work with corporate a lot. Why did you stay within this environment? Why the emphasis on that? And how do you utilize your tools to affect that market? Yeah. So the reason why, you know, corporate um, felt so right to me is because that's where I grew up. You know, I spent 15 years of my life working in corporate, um, you know, starting off in, in sales and, um, and moving my way into marketing and climbing the corporate ladder. And eventually in my last role, I was the GM of a, a startup for, um, for Canada. And um, that just felt right to me because I understood the, the level of stress, the fast paced environment, the expectations, you know, the, the addiction, if you will, to email. Um, so that is a facet of, of society that I, that I really understand. And, and Kate as well, she um, worked in advertising for, for many years. So um, I have a lot of passion for going back into that world and saying, hey, guys, this is doable. We're not saying walk away from your jobs and walk away from your life. Um, you know, as you know it, we're saying here are tools 
on how to deal with that stress um, because we've, we've been through it, we've been there. Um, so that's where that, you know, that corporate um, um, uh, need to be in that corporate space comes from. Um, in terms of who we're targeting with our online course, I think it goes back to the learning that we had from the book and that, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a specific um, uh, 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 biotype target. It's more just anybody who is looking to, you know, bring more happiness in their life, bring more peace into their lives, let go of the stuff they're holding on to. You know, I talk in the book about the anger that I had towards my dad for two decades that I just avoided and I suppressed and I repressed and I didn't want to deal with it. Um, and so, you know, anything that is, is in the way of your happiness, um, this course and this book is, is for you. Absolutely. So do you take clients, um, can a corporation approach you like the work that you're doing as a coach? Does it change per client? Can someone approach you um, wanting you to apply the course to their entire corporation? Or how does that work? What does client acquisition look like? Yeah, so it really depends on our clients. We customize all of our workshops. So, you know, our first step if a client is interested is to really understand what are your client needs? You know, what do you find challenging right now? Um, you know, where are your biggest sore spots as a company? And then from there, we build them a customized workshop. Um, depending on what they're looking for. So I've had clients who have gone through a major merger acquisition and they wanted to know, you know, how do we do this more mindfully? How do we be more in integrative? How do we let go of all the rumination that's going on? Um, I've had clients that strictly want something for their executive team because they are stressed out to the max. They're working crazy hours. You know, how do we um, build a, a better leadership um, and better understand our employees? Um, and I've had you know, companies that want a company-wide, you know, we're keynote speakers at their company-wide meeting. So it really depends on what the company is looking for. We've done one-hour workshops. We've done full-day workshops. Um, uh, so we customize all of our, our content. Do you have any data, like post-workshop or post-work data, um, be it like numerical or um, even testimonial, I suppose you could yes. say, um, from how like the, it's been received? Yes. Yeah, so we send out surveys to our clients uh, to get a better understanding. We're all open to, you know, feedback and continuous improvement. Um, so uh, like 91% of respondents rated the, you know, the workshops a four out of five or five out of five. Out of five. And then about, I think it was high 87% um, would recommend it to other companies and 90, mid 90% found it very relevant to their jobs. Um, and, uh, what was the other question you asked? You asked about, um, numerical yeah. testimonial. Like yeah. And the testimonials as well. So we have, if you go onto our, um, unfiltered mindfulness site, we have a whole corporate section. So that shows you all of our partners that we've worked with and uh, a number of testimonials from the leaders of those companies. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's look at, let's look at the future. Um, do you set one to three traditional goals or is that for um, silly corporate people? And if so, <laughs> goals look like for a company like yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, people always ask me that because there's a whole section in the book and in our workshops of not anticipating the future, right? Letting go of the future when you're most of our thoughts, they say depressive thoughts are usually of the past and anticipative anxious thoughts are usually of the future. And so, you know, we talk about when you're in the past or in the future, where are you not? You're not in the present. 
And um, I do, I, you know, I talk about how, you know, I'm, I'm a, an entrepreneur, I'm a businesswoman, I do plan, you know, two, five, even have visions, um, vision boards for 10 years ahead. Um, and I think the trick there is to have those plans, but not be attached to how they're going to go. Because I talk in the book about how, you know, my 35 year old self wouldn't even recognize or my 25-year-old self wouldn't even recognize my 35-year-old self. I had all these plans of how life was going to unfold and nothing went the way that I planned it. So be open, but plan. And so, um, yes, what I plan for the next, um, you know, three years is, you know, continue with the, the online workshops. I think the, um, the impact of people is, is the greatest win for me. I mean, obviously I'm a businesswoman, but I love, you know, when people, people come up to us and say your book Im impacted us in this way. So continue with the online courses grow our, um, you know, corporate, have corporate expansion. So the great thing about COVID initially, it was very challenging because all of our clients obviously canceled their in-person workshops. So yeah. what are we going to do? And then a couple of our clients came back and said, you know what, we really need this at this time. Can you guys do an online webinar? I said, of course we can. Um, and so now the benefit um, of that is we can pitch globally. You know, companies don't have to pay for travel costs or hotel costs. They can just have us on a webinar and everybody's working from home right now. People are slowly, depending on where you are, getting back into the office, but big chunks of people are working from home. Um, so want to continue with the global um, expansion. And then also, um, you know, I'm really passionate about um, kids. Um, you know, I've got a daughter. I think it's so I've done mini workshops, you know, for her classes and, and I think it's so important um, for kids to understand how to self regulate, especially now where so much of social media kind of owns their life. It's really important for them to understand why they're feeling the way they are, how to move through those emotions, how to, you know, um, um, self regulate and get those calming techniques. So they're better equipped when, you know, things happen. So I would love to, to work more with kids and I've got some things in the works, um, it's ironic yeah. that you just said that, or auspicious, I should say, because um, I, one of my main platforms right now is um, I truly believe with the online enterprise that's it's hit our children, at least in, in the United States and um, some parts of Canada, is this online utility. Um, I think it opens up a venue. You know, children are, uh, teachers are not teaching for eight hours or seven hours a day. And it opens us this opportunity to integrate new courses and things of that nature. And I think mindfulness and, um, my children took yoga through um, physical education a year or so ago and you know seeing them in their little like warrior two poses was amazing yeah just it's ironic that as a mother i didn't think of, of doing that with them or anything like that but i think that the integration of mindfulness and counteracting as you keep talking about this this stress culture and the generation that kind of came about with you know um, there's been a, a myriad of um, studies done on millennials and the kind of you know um, like incapacitating stress that they feel that's preventing them from doing things that then the larger economy or society complains about, you know, they're not entering into the workforce. They're not buying their house as young no. as they, and it's because their stress magnet is so huge. And yeah. I think that counteracting it with these kinds of things, particularly at school age is um, wildly crucial to integrate into our new culture, you know, as long yeah. as we had all of these new technologies introduced to our children without any kind of a combatant, as to how that's going to be received, interpreted, filtered, all of those things. It was all just kind of put on parents who are like, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking yeah. about? What is that platform? Yeah. It's been this disconnect, but I think that there's opportunity for growth. And, um, and, and I think there's always a chance to go back and, and kind of rewrite that narrative. So that's exciting. I'm wondering, um, 
given these goals that you have and and um, what you've done with your life and kind of the pivot and then return to corporate and this advisory role that you have, um, if someone came up to you tomorrow in a park or a garden and they said, listen, I'm so glad I found you, Nina. I, I've got, you know, all these ideas. Um, I left my entire life that I knew of and went away and sought the advice and counsel of these ancient wisdoms, garnered a lot, came back, and now I'm going to start this, um, this business of advisory and things like that. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now and the book that you've written and what you've built? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, number one, I would say start somewhere. Um, because I think we get overwhelmed with, you know, I can't do this and who's going to believe me. And I was in that position too. I still vividly remember, you know, my partner saying, you know, just start a website, just register a business and start a website. And, you know, I was coming off mat leave, ready to go back into corporate. And it was like, what do you mean? Um, and you know, it has just snowballed. I had no intentions of writing a book. Our publisher, HarperCollins, which is a, one of the top five co publishing companies in the world found us. Um, Wow. So I think, you know, one of the things is definitely start somewhere, start with registering companies, start with you. There's so many great applications to do your website. I did mine in about three days and I obviously continue to work at it and, and, and change it, but start somewhere. Um, the next thing I would say is uh, be true to yourself, honor yourself, honor thyself. Um, I think so many times we, you know, um, we are so swayed by society, uh, especially with young the younger generation, uh, I was listening to a Simon Sneak uh, podcast, and he was saying how kids are, you know, they're, they're hard pressed to be creative these days, because they put something out there, and it doesn't get enough likes, and it's not validated by enough people, and they pull it down. And he used the example of Elvis, you know, when Elvis started shaking his hips, you know, everyone thought it was weird. And then all of a sudden, it was the latest thing to do, it just took time. And so, um, you know, I think, be true to yourself and honor that. And it doesn't matter who you get approval from, who validates you, who doesn't. Um, the right people will will come to you. Whoever is meant to learn from you will come to you. So just honor you because if you go off on your own path, you're 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 gonna go off kilter because you're gonna you're not gonna be true to yourself. Yeah. Um the third one is to, you know, walk the walk. Um and you know, I notice this with myself if I get too much into you know, um, go down certain rabbit holes or, you know, I, I, you know, get too much into the business mindset, which I am, I'm very business oriented, but if I don't do my meditation, I'm a little, you know, um, I, I, I don't feel as grounded. I don't feel as focused. I don't feel, um, as myself. So I think the, the important thing is if you're going to be also talking about, um, you know, all these principles to follow, you want to make sure that you're adhering to them. And especially, you know, the whole chapter in authenticity um, was an interesting journey for me, because I wrote that. And I realized as I wrote it, that I knew all these principles, I knew, you know, to speak my truth and to, you know, stand up to all the shoulds and all the people who had their opinions, um, but I wasn't doing it. So I think, um, you know, the third thing would be just just walk the walk, because then you become, you know, the, the life, life class for yourself and, and for your clients. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's fantastic. It's very true too. I think we, a lot of us de design beautiful systems that we don't yeah. from time to time. Yeah. Have, um, start somewhere, just begin. Uh, that's the first process. Number two, be true to yourself, honor thyself and validation needs to come from within. 
mm-hmm. um, and therefore, you know, leading to the greater happiness because you're going on your own path. Number three, walk the walk, utilize the tools you enable your audience to use, which I exactly. think exactly. Those are awesome. Nina, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I appreciate your candor. Your story is, um, it's, it's so human and so real and you sharing it with the audience and then util, um, utilizing it and developing your tools is at once brave and genius. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it. It's such an honor to be here and uh, I, uh, I really value our conversation and do hope it, it has an impact. Absolutely. I know it will. Absolutely. For everyone listening, thank you for listening to us today. We've been speaking with Nina Pierwalt. She's an author and founder. Um, Her book is called Let That Shit Go. You can find out more on her website, www.unfilteredmindfulness.com. And until we speak again next time, thank you so much for giving us your time. And remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sláinte.